And the father knew this is what is waiting for him. That's why he was looking at the horizon. Because he wanted to run past the elders. Before the elders got a chance on, to put their hands on him. Or before he would come in front of the elders council. He wanted to run past the elders and meet his son. And tell him that no, 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 no. You are not disowned. I am taking you back. I'm taking you back. You're not going to be disowned by my house, my, my family. So the Bible says that's why the dad said, come on, put a ring on him. Cover him with a robe. Let the world see that he is not disowned. He has been received back. Thank you for tuning in to this podcast from Gateway Christian Center with our senior pastor, Dr. Sonny Phillip. We are in the New York City area at 502 North Central Avenue, Valley Stream, New York, 11580. Uh, we started uh, this year with a new team, and the theme is uh, growing spiritually. And we have been uh, talking about we have been talking about the new creation. You know, what does it mean that we have become new creation in Jesus Christ? That's a fundamental part of Christian life. Last two messages, I talked about uh, one aspect of that, which uh, basically covers um, what we call the salvation experience. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, and we acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Savior, and also acknowledge that he went to the cross, you know, carrying our sins and by his precious blood, our sins are forgiven. Amen. And last Sunday we were talking about, and the Bible says when we do that, God will give us a new heart. Last Sunday we were talking about how can we move forward with that new heart. We were talking about living with that new heart last Sunday. All right. Today we'll be going to the next level, start to go to the next level in our Christian walk, uh, which is actually baptism, but I won't be talking about baptism today. I will do uh, talk about baptism next Sunday. Uh, but today what I want to talk about is lead you up to that, all right? Uh, because what is the, I'm going to talk about just one significance of baptism and the most important significance of baptism. Why do you take baptism and what is the result of that? So, our meditation this morning will be based on Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. This is what Paul tells us in that verse. All who have been united with Christ, say united with Christ, in baptism. That's what, that's what we do when we take baptism. We unite, we get united with Jesus Christ. We will talk about that part of that verse next Sunday, all right? Today we'll be only looking at the second part of that verse. Where the second part of that verse says, All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Putting on new clothes. So say, put on Christ. Well, that's a, I'm going to explain what Bible means by that, okay? I hope you can 
follow along with me in your notes. So when, when, when we take baptism, that is actually part of the process of becoming a new creation, right? Salvation experience is not alone in the New Testament theology. In the New, what, what, what the New Testament teaches us is that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, immediately we are saved. Our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But God expects us to grow. Remember last two weeks we were talking about growth? This whole series is about growth. So when you grow, you take new steps in your life. Am I telling the truth? Amen. When you are a baby, you act like a baby, right? And by the time you are three or four years old, your parents get ready to send you to school. Why? Because you are growing and it's time to take the next step in your life. Amen. Have you, is there any parent who kept the baby at home until he or she turned 10? Can I see the hands of all the parents? No. Okay. Why? Because your baby is growing. <coughs> when the baby is growing, <coughs> excuse me, that baby has to take new steps uh, in, in his or her life, right? And we send them to nursery school, kindergarten, grade school, all the way to university. Why? Because we are allowing that child to grow. Amen? As children of God, God expects us to grow. Amen? So can you turn to somebody and say, if you are a child of God, you need to grow. Amen? You, can, you cannot be a baby forever. A spiritual baby forever. You need to grow. And you need to take the next steps in your life. In that growth process. And the second step that you take in your life. After you accept Jesus Christ. As your savior. Is getting united with Jesus. In baptism. Alright. So we will talk more about baptism next Sunday. So look in your note. What did I say? <coughs> Excuse me. My throat is hurting this morning. Um, so it's part of becoming the new creation. Baptism also is part of that. This is what we already covered in the first part of the note. If you look, you can see. We, we, we understand that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all the sins in our lives. Amen. And then when our sins are forgiven, what the Bible tells us is that our hearts become new. Amen. Last Sunday we talked about the stony heart and the heart of flesh. And, and we, our hearts become new. And when our hearts become new, it becomes possible to live a righteous life. A righteous life simply means a life that is pleasing to God. Amen. So God has to help you to live a life that is pleasing to Him. We cannot do that by our own efforts. And then what happens is that when you take that step forward, God declares you as righteous. Amen. None of us are righteous. The Bible itself tells us in the book of Romans that there is no one righteous. None. None. Because all of our rightful acts are just like filthy rags before God. Because God is so holy, so holy that uh, irrespective of our best efforts, we cannot live a life that is totally pleasing to Him. Amen. So if, if you say you are a righteous person this morning, it's not because of the good things that you did in your life during last week, but it's because God considers you as righteous. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Are you happy? Only two people happy about that? Amen. Amen. So, so can, you, can you turn to somebody and say, I've been declared righteous by God. 
You know, that's amazing. That's amazing. Amen. A holy God, a holy God looks at a sinner like me. Amen. And, and declare, Sonny, you are righteous. Magali, you are righteous. Pastor Choi, you are righteous. Why? Because, because we, are, we have been declared righteous because we have been washed by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So, so and then God gives us, uh, gives us the Holy Spirit to keep us in that, good, in that new condition. So you need Holy Spirit in your life. We will talk about the role of Holy Spirit also as we move forward in this series. Amen. To continue to live a life that is pleasing to God. So when we come and get united with uh, Jesus Christ, what, look at that verse. The verse that I read, you, read to you is from New Living Translation. In other versions of the Bible put it slightly differently. But I love this translation. Why? Because it makes the idea so clear and simple. Can I read that verse once again? And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Hallelujah. Say putting on new clothes. Putting on new clothes. You know what the Bible is trying to tell us? That uh, when you accept Jesus Christ, amen, and then you get united with Jesus in the waters of baptism. What happens is when you come out of the baptism, you know, I mean, some of you have been here. Most of you have been here for a long time. You know, we will have a baptism shortly. This is our baptistry right here. And you know that every time a person comes out from the baptism pool, you know, the, especially when the sisters come out, some other sisters will go and cover her with a, um, with a bed sheet or something. Amen. Because she was in the water, she's coming out of water, and so they cover her with a bird sheet, you know. Um, and you want to know spiritually also, the Bible tells us that when we become united with Christ, we become the property of Jesus Christ. God covers us with uh, with with something. And you know what? What is that uh, that covering that we have? That is the righteousness of God. And I'm going to talk about that today. That concept of righteousness, is, I mean, robe is very, very important in the Bible, okay? Now, um, but I want to uh, start with Jesus. Listen, if anybody had a, a, a robe of righteousness on him, it is Jesus Christ, right? Again, when we see him in the book of Revelation, we know that he has the kingly robes and uh, his name is righteousness on his forehead. And he is the one who is really the righteous person. None of us are righteous compared to him. And uh, do you know what happened to Jesus? His robe was taken out when he died on the cross for us. I want you to think with me this morning. When he died on the cross, his robe was taken out. He was disrobed so that we can be robed. Amen. Hallelujah. There's an exchange that happened on the cross of Calvary. I want you to understand, I can, I can never get tired of speaking about the cross. Because the more I live, the more I study the Bible, the more I serve as a pastor, the, the meaning of the cross becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. Amen. I can never finish talking about the cross. Can I show you a couple of verses from the Bible this morning? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Look at the, what this is what, look at the exchange that happened in the, or at, at the cross that we can be righteous this morning. This is what the Bible says. For he, who is he? 
Amen. God the Father made him who is the him there, Jesus Christ. So let's put that into that verse and read it like this. For God the Father made Jesus Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us. That means all of our sins were put on him. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. In whom? In Jesus Christ. So let's read that verse again. For God the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how meaningful, how deep that verse is? Amen. This morning, you, we clap that we are righteous. Yes, we are righteous. We are right to clap. Because we have been declared righteous by the courts of heaven. But you want to know something? Somebody had to pay a huge price to make you righteous. Hallelujah. It didn't cost us anything, but it cost heaven everything heaven had. Hallelujah. The Son of God who knew no sin came into this world and lived in this world knowing no sin. All his life he knew no sin. Even when he was on the cross, he knew no sin. But your sin was put on him. My sin was put on him. So that I can be declared, you can be declared righteous by God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're happy about what Jesus did for you, come on, give the Lord a clap offering in this place. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Can I show you one more verse? Amen. From that same book, chapter 8 and verse 9. This is what we read there. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Amen. Say exchange. Your Christian life is a result of an exchange process. Amen. What is that exchange process? Jesus took your place on the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. Amen. As a sinner, you and I should have received the punishment of God. Amen. But today when the holy God looks at you, looks at me, he is not in a rush to punish you. You know why? Because you have been declared righteous because of the exchange process that happened on the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. So, Jesus Christ is our righteous. Amen. And you guess what? So, that's why the Bible calls that the in Christ experience. Say, say in Christ. Because all the spiritual blessings that we have is because we are in Jesus Christ. Outside of Jesus Christ, we have nothing. That's why Jesus said, you cannot come to my Father except through me, except through me. Amen. You can try all you want, but you are not going to reach anywhere. But this morning, if you are in Jesus Christ, amen, hallelujah, heaven is pleased to give you all the blessings in heavenly places. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, even though God is just, God is righteous, God is holy, and I am not anywhere near His righteousness, anywhere near His holiness, anywhere near anything that He possesses, but he looks at me with compassion. Why? Because I'm in Jesus Christ. So you know how meaningful it is to become a new creation in Jesus? Amen. This new life that we have, how valuable it is. Amen. So cherish the new life that God has given to us. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, moving forward, coming back to our main topic that I want to discuss with you today. I'm talking about a covering that God put on us. 
so that we can remain in a state that is acceptable to God. Now, where did that idea come from? Because the Bible teaches us that sin makes us naked. Because we live, I mean, we are in front of a holy God. Amen. And the Bible says everything remains stark and naked before his eyes. Right? And also, when we commit a sin, you know, automatically it creates a feeling in us that, uh, that we have uh, entered into a realm that is in enmity with God. Remember what happened to Adam and Eve? As soon as they committed the sin, they went and hid themselves, right? And, uh, and then God came down to meet with them and uh, asked them, where are you? They said, uh, we are hiding. And why are you hiding? Because we are naked. And God asked a very significant question. I don't have time to explain that question this morning. You know, very deep spiritual question. Who told you you are naked? You have to ask that question. Every person who don't believe in God, but still want to live a righteous life, you know, by their own effort, should answer that question. Who, called, who told you? God asked Adam, who told you you are naked? I didn't come down and condemn you. So who told you you are naked? But the, the thing is that the moment we start living a sinful lifestyle, we don't have to do anything. Have you noticed? Children, you know, I have children and grandchildren now, right? When I watch, when as my grandchildren is slowly growing, I can see that as soon as they do something wrong, their expression on their face change. <laughs> their smile fades, you know? And they're looking at me like this. Right away I know they did something, <laughs> Right? You don't, have to, you don't have to yell at them. You don't have to do nothing. In, you know, most of the time we just go pick them up and hug them and say, it's okay. You know, don't worry about it. But even then, their own conscience will tell them, even at a small age, their conscience will tell them that they have done something wrong. Amen? So that's why the Bible says when we are in life, when we are sinners, we are naked, spiritually speaking, because we are exposed. Our sin is exposed before our God. And guess what God does? Amen. When we come to Jesus Christ and we are united with Jesus, and which is a public confession that we are going to uh, start living as a Christian, you know, God covers us with, a, with this robe of righteousness. So can you turn to somebody and say, I am no longer naked? Listen, there was a time when I, when, when I didn't have the confidence to stand before God because I felt naked spiritually. I knew my sins were exposed. Amen. Now, what, God, what has God done? God washed all those sins away by the precious blood of his son Jesus. And then he didn't even stop there. Then he put on a new covering on me. Hallelujah. And which is called the robe of righteousness. Amen. I'm covered this morning. I'm covered this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. So turn to somebody and say, I'm covered. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm covered. I'm covered. I'm covered. Hallelujah. Amen. 
so i don't have to be afraid to stand in front of a holy god i don't have to be ashamed to raise my hands in his presence when i raise my hands in his presence and start worshiping him he's not looking at you me and saying you hypocrite no that's not what he's saying he's saying that yes go on my child because your sins have been forgiven you have been washed by the precious blood of jesus i have covered you with my robe of righteousness come on rejoice in my presence rejoice in my presence rejoice in my presence hallelujah amen amen now we're going to go deeper into this okay the robe was very significant in the jewish thinking very significant because only sons and daughters were allowed to wear a robe are you with me in the ancient world today what we call servants they were not really servants they were most of the time slaves so the servants and the slaves were only allowed to wear rags i want you to think with me they were only allowed to wear rags but the sons and daughters were allowed to wear robes so it shows about sonship that you are part of the family are you with me and when the bible says that every person who put their trust in jesus and goes through this uniting process with christ in the waters of baptism become a member of the family of god amen, amen. do you remember at the end of last year we were talking about how, what is a church we had a mini series on that and i told you the way you you become member of the family of god is through baptism amen so when you take baptism what guess what god says you are my my family you are my family me familia right you are my family can you imagine god almighty looking at you and saying you are my family amen are you part of god's family so there are a number of people in our church who want to take the baptism next time we are going to have and they also going to become members of god's family amen now listen it doesn't end there so let me show you um how you can understand this process very well all of us know the story of the prodigal son right the prodigal son was a part of the family was he part of the family come on talk back to me was he part of the family amen a father had just two sons and he was one of them but one day he decided to cut off his relationship with the family and he decided to put down his dad because in the ancient world you never got your portion of the blessing until the father died so while the father was still alive he went and demanded his portion so basically what he's saying that i don't want to be part of this family anymore so he got the blessing and he ran away with that money and we know the rest of the story and he wasted all that money and in the end he realized that these friends that new friends that i have would be my friends only as long as i have money why because they were not part of the family right you know about children right they are active especially when they are teenagers they act up they act like they want the whole world you know and then slowly as they get older they realize that listen in the end only my family is going to be there to stick with me amen and let me just throw that in there if you are teenage kids all right remind them once in a while <clears throat> only your family is going to be there in the end amen hallelujah so anyway this man came back 
And when he lost everything and finally had to fight with pigs to fill his stomach, he realized that, uh, listen, look in what a wretched condition I am. Because he was a member of a wealthy family, son of a wealthy family. He lived a luxurious life, now fighting with pigs just to get something to eat. And he realized that I don't have to live like this. And then he said, I'm going to go back to my father's house. I want you to pay attention. I know you have heard the story of prodigal son a million times, but pay attention to what I am about to share with you today. When this young man came, he made a decision in his mind, right? And what was the decision that he made in his mind? He said, I will go back to my father and tell my father that I am no longer worthy to be your son. Because he was not worthy to be his son. He disrespected his father and condemned his father in front of the whole community. So he was not worthy to be a son anymore, according to the Jewish customs of the day. So he said, but dad... Make me a servant. Servant. Now, now listen to this. Listen, stay with me, okay? So when he's coming back, he was talking to himself. I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to be a servant. I'm, I'd rather be a servant in my dad's house than fight with the pig. Why? Because even if I'm a servant in my dad's house, I will like nothing because my dad is so wealthy. So he's coming back to wearing a rag. Listen, he lost everything. So he's already wearing a rag and he's ready to wear a rag for the rest of his life. Because in his mind, he just wanted to be a servant. Servant. Because he knows he cannot demand to be a son anymore. Now, you know the story. All of you know the story. And the story says that as the son was far away, the father ran to him. Do you know why he ran to him? Many times you have heard that it's because of the love of the father. Yes, it was. But there is something else which I never thought of until this week when I was putting this message together. I decided to dig deeper into this subject and find out something that I want to share with you. In the Jewish community of that day, they had a, a ceremony called Kesasa. Say Kesasa. It's in your notes, okay? Not the details, but the, the word is in your notes. And you know what was the Kesasa was the ceremony of disowning somebody that belongs to your family. Listen to this. Stay with me. Now you will understand why the father ran. Because as the prodigal son was coming back, he would not be allowed to go to his dad. See, it was a community. And they had elders. So he had to come to the elders of the community first. And the elders had, would sit in the judgment seat and had to go over what happened in his life. And they, only if they approved, he could go to his dad. Okay, that was the system of the day. So, but what they would have done, knowing how this boy was disrespected his father, how he mishandled the fortunes of his father, how he wasted the money, with the Bible itself says in Luke chapter 15, that he wasted the money with prostitutes. So you can imagine what kind of an immoral life this man was living. So for such a young man to come back, want to come back home, there was no way he was going to be allowed to go back home. Are you with me? Yeah. So you know what they would do? They would declare a kasasa over him. It was a disowning ceremony. What they would do is they will bring an earthen vessel. Amen. And they will pronounce curse on this young man and throw that earthen vessel on the floor and break it. Just like you cannot put the earthen vessel back together after it is broken, 
they were declaring that your relationship your family and this community is broken forever there is no going back that was what was going to happen to this young man that was exactly what was going to happen to this young man because the community was going to declare Kassasa over him. They were going to disown him and they were going to send him back. Cursed forever. And the father knew this is what is waiting for him. That's why he was looking at the horizon because he wanted to run past the elders before the elders got a chance on to put their hands on him or before he would come in front of the elders council he wanted to run past the elders and meet his son and tell him that no 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 you are not disowned i am taking you back i'm taking you back you're not going to be disowned by my house my my family so the bible says that's why the dad said come on put a ring on him cover him with a robe let's the world see that he is not disowned he has been received back can you imagine can you imagine that's what god did for us hallelujah that's what god did for us do you understand what god did for you when he allowed his son Jesus to die on the cross. Because the whole world wanted to sit in the judgment seat over your life. Because they know what you did in your life. They know the mistakes in your life. They all want to sit on the judgment seat and judge you and condemn you. And say you are not worthy. You are not worthy. You are not worthy. But heavenly father sent his only begotten son into this world. To run past these people who want to sit in judgment over your life. And reach out to you while you are yet a sinner and receive you and say yes I'm receiving you back yes I'm receiving you back yes you disrespected me amen hallelujah what you have done is wrong but I'm receiving you back hallelujah so when this father ran, ran to receive the prodigal son that's what he was doing amen to tell the world that my son is not disowned Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know, know how many of you have been disowned by the world because of the failures in your life. There may be people who no longer talk to you because of the failures in your life. Your friends may have disappeared because of something that happened in your life. I know people who are kicked out from their own families because of something that happened in their life. But I want to tell you, there is somebody who is ready to receive you this morning. There's somebody who's ready to receive you this morning. It doesn't matter what happened in your life. It doesn't matter how long you have been away. He is ready to receive you this morning. And the moment he receives you, he put that robe over you, saying that you are part of the family again. Amen. So I turn to somebody and say, I'm part of the family. Amen. I hope you can, I hope you can share the excitement that I have as I share this message this morning with you. Can we turn to somebody and say, I'm part of the family. I'm not forgotten. I am not disowned. I am not an orphan. I am part of God's family. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter who doesn't want me, but my God wants me this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. So, first of all, the robe speaks about sonship. So, it's a very important concept in the Bible. Secondly, the robe also talks about ownership. Ownership. Amen. Now, uh, we are called the Syrian Christians in India. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm from India, and uh, we are called the Syrian Christians in India. You know why? Because they say that uh, 
we are the descendants of Syrians who fled persecution in the second and third century. Okay, from Syria, and they came, and they were given refuge in the, in the coastal state of Kerala in India. So they settled there, and they grew to be a big community now. They're 30% of that state of Christians uh, now, and most of them are descendants of the Syrian, original Syrian people. Eventually, I'm pretty sure it got mingled with other people, you know, the local population. But still there, we are called the Syrian Christians. So uh, most of the celebrations, ceremonies in the mainline Christian churches there is uh, along the Syrian way, along the Syrian still follow that Syrian custom. Now, part of that custom is, you know, unlike in the West, you know, unlike the weddings you have seen here, in the weddings in Kerala, in Christian weddings in Kerala, at the end of that wedding, the husband will, or the future husband, will go stand behind the, um, the, the bride, the bridegroom will stand behind the bride, and uh, one of the things, he has to do a couple of things. You know, first of all, he ties something around her neck, uh, et cetera. And then uh, he also has to cover her with a brand new sari, very expensive sari, okay? <laughs> cover her with a sari. Now, I, as a child, when I used to go to all these weddings of my cousins, I used to wonder, what in the world, you know, what is the point of this? I only understood the meaning of it when I became a pastor and started studying Bible seriously. Because then I realized that it comes from the Bible. It comes from the Bible. That idea actually comes from Isaiah chapter 61. Because the, it was God who said that uh, I, when I find you, you know, I cover you. You have become my property. So when the bridegroom covers this young lady, young lady who is this bride, future wife, what he's actually saying is from this day, she has become mine. Amen? And uh, I will be responsible for her. I will take care of everything for her. I take full responsibility of her. And he's saying that in front of the whole community. And that's why they would cover. So that idea of ownership actually comes from Bible. Amen? Now, you don't have to do that, but this is what they do there. Okay? Here we do different things for wedding. Okay? Um, so it also talks about ownership. So being covered with a robe is very significant in the Middle Eastern thinking, in the Jewish thinking also, okay? And the third thing I want to show you is that uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 4, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 to 4, the story is uh, David entering into a covenant with uh, Jonathan. Okay. Uh, I hope I can finish my message, okay? Um, David is entering into a a covenant with Jonathan, and uh, at the, after they entered into that covenant, when we come to verse 4, the Bible says that Jonathan, as a symbol of that covenant, one of the things that he did was, he took his robe and put it on David. David, okay? Because what they were saying, that from this day forward, we are blood brothers, all right? So we have, there's a covenant that, that lasts between us, the two of us. And we know that from that story, from that chapter on, David went through many different <coughs> uh, negative experiences in his life. And uh, in the midst of all of that, they maintained that covenant until after the death of Jonathan. Okay, even after the death of Jonathan, when we come to Second Samuel, we can see that John, David reminding himself of this covenant that he made and showing mercy to his children. 
So, so a robe also speaks of a covenant. So three things I showed you. Number one, what does it show you? Amen. That we are part of God's family. Secondly, the robe shows the robe that God puts upon, uh, cover us with, shows that, uh, that uh, he has taken ownership of us. He's responsible for everything that we go through. Amen. That's why I can say on earnestly that God is with me in every situation. God is with me. Why? Because he has covered me with his robe. Amen. And has taken full responsibility of me. Thirdly, it shows that uh, there's a covenant between me and uh, God himself. Hallelujah. What a, what a great God we serve. Amen. All right. So in quickly, let me show you some more things. All right. Now, I told you earlier that... Uh, it, it, it became possible because Jesus was willing to give up his robe. Hello? Jesus was willing to give up his robe. Amen? If Jesus was not willing to give up his robe, you would not be robed this morning. Amen? We would all be standing naked and starved before a holy God as sinners this morning. But he was willing to give up his robe. Now, do you know what I, what I found out last, uh, last year, I believe, this happened? One um, one Easter season, I I read the crucifixion story again and again, and I found out that there are three different robes mentioned about Jesus in the Gospels. I quickly going to mention this. I don't have time to explain. Number first of all, in John chapter 19, verses 23. Maybe I should just show you since I mentioned it. John chapter 19 and verse 23. Let me quickly read this verse to you. 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, took his garments, and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. Do you know that was a very expensive piece of clothing? That's why they wanted it. They wanted it. And you know what? That, what, where that came from? That's the cloth that he was wearing for Passover. Because Passover is one of, the, one of the greatest celebrations for the Jewish community during the year. And at that time, they will always wear nice clothes. So this tunic that is mentioned here was the cloth that Jesus was wearing when the previous day when he was celebrating Passover with his disciples. So that then and... Uh, so during the time of crucifixion, many things happened to Jesus, but they kept this tunic. They could see that this was very expensive. Now, some people, especially pro prosperity preachers, say that this is proof that Jesus was very rich. Okay? But that's not the truth. The truth is that somebody gave this to Jesus because he was a rabbi, and somebody honored him, like you honor your pastor during Christmas seasons, you know? I mean, I haven't bought a tie in as many years because you give me plenty of ties. All right. So just like you honor your pastor, somebody honored him as a, as a rabbi. So, um, and that's where that tunic came from. All right. And that was one robe that he had at the time of crucifixion. Can I show you another robe? The same chapter in verse 5. Verse 5. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Purple robe. That purple robe didn't belong to him. Purple robe usually belongs to whom? Who wears a purple robe? A king wears a purple robe. So at the end of the trial, initially, 
Pilate tried to let him go. And when he realized that they didn't want him to go and the people want him to be crucified, finally when he yielded to the demand of the crowd and he decided to crucify him, he decided to mock him. He decided to mock him. So just like a king has a crown on his head, he decided to put a crown on Jesus' head. But what was the crown that he put on his head? A crown of thorns that he put on his head. And just like a king has a robe, he decided to put a robe on Jesus. And, uh, and one, he took, probably took one of his purple robes and put on Jesus for only for a little while. Because when they started beating him, they took all of that out. I'm coming to that in a second. All right? So that was a second robe attached to Jesus during the crucifixion story. Can I show you one more robe? In Luke chapter 23, we see another incident. Again, part of the crucifixion narrative. Luke chapter 23 and verse 11. Luke chapter 23 and verse 11. Remember, in between, you know, Pilate had to send him to Herod, knowing that Jesus grew up in Galilee, because Herod was the king for Galilee. And, and so he, when, when he went to Galilee, I mean, Herod, they try, you know, he asked Jesus to perform a miracle, etc. Jesus wouldn't open his mouth. Jesus kept quiet. So finally, Herod decided to mock him. Mock him. And when Herod decided to mock him, this is what he did. Luke chapter 23 and verse 11. Look at this. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arraying him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. So three times he was robed. He had his own robe, which was the tunic, that expensive tunic. And because he, this happening in, immediately after the Passover. And that's what he was wearing during the Passover. And then he went before Pilate initially. They took that off. Took that off. And when, when, when he was sent to Herod, you know, Herod put on a, a gorgeous, that says the gorgeous robe. We don't know what it was. It was looked beautiful. Why? Because Herod wanted to mock him because he was claiming to be the king of Jews. So remember when Jesus was born? What did the wise men, hello, what did the wise men come and ask? Where is the baby that is born to become the king of Jews? Now, this Herod is his son. This is not the same Herod. Now this son is ruling, in the, sitting on the throne. But he knows the story. He had heard the story about what happened when Jesus was born. So he wanted to mock him. Look, you said you are born to be a king. Look what is happening to you. So in order to mock him, what did they do? They put him on a gorgeous robe. So they had a three different robes. You know, during the crucifixion narrative, it's less than 12 hours time. Three times. They're mocking him, mocking him, and took his own clothes. But in the end, when he was crucified, he had nothing on him. Do you know that? Either he was totally naked or he was wearing just a little rag around his waist. That's all he had. So when the Bible says there was an exchange process that happened at the cross to robe you, to put the robe of righteousness on you, it literally happened. Not only it happened spiritually, it literally happened because Jesus had, had all the robes that Jesus had during that time was taken out from him. And then he was sent to the cross and crucified as naked or half naked so that he can put the robe of righteousness on us. Oh, only if you understood, only if you understood, amen, what this means. I have a lot more to share. I have five more minutes. 
Okay, so I'm going to skip the next slide, next part of, okay? In your notes, there is a section called uh, the covering and the blood connection. I'm going to skip that because I don't have time to cover everything. I have mentioned that in some of my messages, other messages, so I'm going to skip that. We're going to come to the last part, last part of the room. Now, there is another, another thing that comes to your mind when you talk about, you know, God putting a robe on us because in the marriage supper of the Lamb, remember Jesus gave us multiple parables about what happens when he come back. Now, one and, and multiple times it was likened to a wedding, likened to a wedding. And in one of the stories that we find in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, I don't, we don't have time to read that passage, Jesus talked about one particular incident, one particular way he explained what happens when people, you know, uh, when he comes back. So this is what he said. He said uh, the, everyone was invited for a wedding and people came in. And when the master of the ceremony came and looked at all the people and, uh, and they found somebody without a wedding robe. So the master of the house asked him, how did you get in without a wedding robe? And the man had no answer. And he was actually kicked out from the celebration because he refused to wear that wedding robe. Now, what in the world does that mean? This is another passage that you confused me. What is he talking about? Does anybody go to a wedding without wearing a cloth? Hello? You know, we are all wearing clothes when we go to a wedding. So what was Jesus trying to tell us when he said this? Well, when again, when you dig deeper into the Jewish customs and practices, you get the real meaning of it. You see the, in the, on that picture? On the right side, it's like, a, like an overcoat, an overcoat, like the do overcoat that the doctors wear. Not that, that thick, not that expensive, maybe a simple overcoat. Now, that simple overcoat is called kittel in Hebrew. Say kittel. Kittel, kittel. Say kittel. It's very meaningful. It's very meaningful. You know, because in the Jewish custom, in Jesus' day, I don't know if they do that now, but in Jesus' day, all the men who go to a wedding had to put that on, on top of their clothes. Are you with me? Now, this is, what, this is the reason for that. The first time a Jewish man was supposed to wear that is at his own wedding, at his own wedding. All right? Now, it is white in color. Remember the, the, the white dress the women wear? In Jesus' day, the men also had to wear white. And even if they had something else, a different color thing, or they had to put this white overcoat on top of that. And you know, white is the symbol of holiness in the Bible. So they were saying that both the women and, uh, woman and the man were saying that we are coming to this wedding ceremony as holy. We have kept ourselves pure and holy for this day. That's what this, that was the message. So when they come, they had to put this on, put this on. And then all the other men also would join with the bridegroom and put this on them. So Jesus is talking about, Jesus is talking about uh, a wedding when the master of the house is coming and looking at all the men who have come for the party. But one, everyone is wearing this, this kittel, except one. And she has started asking that man, well, how come you are not here? He said, no, I didn't want to put that on. So you know what the master said? If you don't want to put that on, you cannot be part of this party. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. You cannot be part of that party. 
You know what, what that was saying? That is talking about the righteousness of God. Amen? The righteousness of God. So this is talking about people who want to follow God on their own terms. Have you come across people who want to follow God on their own terms? I have many, many of them. They say, no, 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 no. You say one thing, but this is my idea about following God. And I'm going to follow God in my own way. But the problem is that when the master of the ceremony finally comes at the wedding supper of the Lamb, and he look at you and tell you, if you don't want to receive this robe of righteousness I freely gave to you, I freely gave to you, you cannot be part of this party. And you're going to be kicked out from the party. That's part of the ceremony. I mean, message. It doesn't even end there. Can you listen to me for a couple of minutes more? Where did this word come from? Kitel. Why they call this Kitel? You know, the, in, the, in the Jewish temple, when the priests are conducting the sacrifice, they used to put an apron. You know, naturally the blood will splatter when you conduct sacrifice. They used to um, put an apron on top of their tunic, white tunic. And you know what was the name for that apron? It was katal, K-A-T-A-L. The Greek word, I mean, Hebrew word for that is katal. So it is from that word that this word came. And when you, are you still with me? You are all staring at me. <laughs> okay. So, so you know what does, what does that mean? That means there's a blood connection to your righteousness. There's a blood connection to your righteousness. Amen. Hallelujah. Just like when this animal is sacrificed, the blood is splattered on his cloth. And he put on this covering to make sure that the blood actually stays on that covering. Guess what? The robe of righteousness is a result of the shedding of the blood of the Lamb of God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So there is a, there is a, there is a, there's a blood connection to your salvation. And that's why we say nobody can be saved unless they come to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, because he's the only one who died on the cross. He's the only one who shed his precious blood for our salvation. He's the only one who was the Lamb of God that took away the sin of God. That's why we continue to proclaim, even in this 21st century, that you cannot be saved unless you come to Christ. Why Christ? Here's the answer for why Christ. <laughs> Amen? You cannot be saved. Because it's a blood connection. So your righteousness is connected to the blood. Your salvation is connected to the blood. Amen. Your spiritual newness is connected to the blood. You are a new living being in Jesus Christ because of the blood that was shed on the cross. Everything that we have, everything that we are, and everything that we will be is connected to the blood of the Lamb of God. Let's all stand up in the presence of God.